Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with your Wednesday Night Wars esque edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Yes, once again, we did have NXT Super Tuesday 2 to go along with AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. So it is another odd edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but it does look like things will be going back to normal next week with NXT and AEW, both on Wednesday night, as long as the Lakers-Rockets series does not go to a Game 7, and the Silver King does not expect it to do that. So hopefully next week we're back to normal, but nevertheless, we are here, as we always are each week, to talk all things NXT and AEW. And oh boy, did we get four hours of really damn good, borderline great professional wrestling over the last two days. Not only did NXT deliver a ridiculously good episode for the second straight week, AEW bounced back in a major way with my favorite Dynamite over the last, I don't know, couple of months probably. Definitely the best that they've put together over the last few weeks. Two very exciting hours of television on Wednesday night. And now I'm a little bit juiced, a little bit more juiced to see what AEW has in store for the near future. Before we get into any of that, you guys know the drill here on Getting Over. Got a little business to do. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. Every single time you rate or review the show, five stars. It helps us immensely, gets us in front of more, I was going to say eyeballs, but I guess ear holes is probably the uh, better term, but gets us in front of more people to listen to the show. And that is how we're going to grow. As I always say, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Yeah. Go back to being a mark for me, for Chris Vanini, for this podcast, go back to being marks for us. Five-star ratings and reviews. And don't forget to tell your friends as well. Most of you have other people you know who watch and listen to things about professional wrestling. Get getting over in front of them. Make sure they subscribe. Make sure they listen to our shows. The other thing, of course, is social media. You need to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me, the Silver King, directly at Silverstein Adam, but I heavily suggest you follow the podcast account at Getting Overcast. We talk about wrestling all week long, not just during the shows, not only to promote the podcast. It is a wrestling-focused Twitter account, and I hope that you join us over there. Now, with that said, there has been a lot of wrestling in the Silver King's world over the last, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks, and it has been exhausting. You guys know, long-term listeners of this show, people not listening for the first time, Holy crap. I mean, extra episodes, instant analysis, ultimate previews. We've been going crazy. There were three pay-per-views in as many weeks. Things are calming down a little bit. Yes, on one hand, New Japan Pro Wrestling did just announce the official A Block and B Block for G1 Climax 30. I'm really excited about that. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to talk about it, when we're going to talk about it, or in what format we're going to talk about it. But all of that is still to come. On top of that, the Silver King has some feelers out there for a couple interviews that may get you guys juiced up. I've reached out to WWE, to AEW, people outside the normal scope of those two professional wrestling companies. We'll see if anyone bites. We will see who we get on this podcast sooner than later, but there's going to be some great content coming up, and I am really excited about that. And of course, now we are officially, formally back to our regular schedule Tuesdays talking all things WWE Raw and SmackDown and Thursdays talking all things NXT and AEW. And let's just hope there's not some huge major breaking news that happens in between both. There's rumors today, literally as I tape this podcast, that more WWE cuts may be coming before the week is out. I don't think they're going to be talent. The roster actually is pretty thin as it is considering people that have been cut, uh, injuries, People that are gone for other reasons, Daniel Bryan, his wife just had a baby. Certainly Becky Lynch herself is pregnant. So the rosters are are getting a little thin in the world of WWE right now. So I'm really curious to kind of find out what's going to happen and if this report that there will be additional cuts ends up being true. 
Now, we will address all of that if and when the time comes. For now, let's get into the Thursday show of Getting Over and talk NXT and AEW Dynamite. And we will start with NXT, which did air first, of course, on Tuesday, NXT Super Tuesday 2. And we're going to break it down. We will start with the two big main event matches on the show. And we have to start with the NXT Championship Finn Balor against Adam Cole for the vacant title. Finn Balor won and became the new NXT champion. This match was non-stop action. There were some rest holds surrounding that first commercial break. But once they came back, man, it was high octane. The sequence that ended in The Shining Wizard from Cole is where this match really kicked into another gear. What was exciting is that neither guy had large sustained periods where they had momentum. It was booked to be even and exciting, and they both absolutely delivered. Balor being unable to capitalize on the coup de grace the first time he hit it due to his knee being hurt, and then Cole becoming the first person ever to kick out of it was smart. Though in NXT, Balor's new finisher is the 1916 anyway, so the kickout had a little bit less impact in NXT than it would have if it happened on the WWE main roster. Still, Wade Barrett and Vic Joseph did a great job selling the importance of Cole kicking out, which would have helped him in a win or a loss scenario. Balor then came back, kicked out of the last shot. That was equally as good, though we know others have done that before. Certainly, uh, Johnny Gargano has done that seemingly a dozen times. The issue I had here is Joseph, Vic Joseph, that is, struggled to call that as an expected near fall. So it didn't seem like it was as big of a deal on commentary as it actually was over the course of the match. And the overall energy level of the crowd was not anywhere near where it needed to be. They were way louder and way more excited in that Keith Lee-Adam Cole match than they were for this one. I'm wondering if that has to do with taping schedule, when this happened, if there were fewer people there. But for a vacant NXT championship match, I thought they would be louder in this scenario. Nevertheless... Balor comes back, hits the inverted 1916 as he kept selling the knee, and it, but it made no sense for him to go back to the top rope because he's selling the knee. He already heard it once on the coup de gras. The 1916 is his finisher, so why does he keep going back to the top rope? Anyway, it doesn't matter, okay? okay? Because what happened is Adam Cole went up there, tried to stop him. Balor countered with that ridiculous avalanche 1916 to win the NXT title in a fantastic 25-minute match. I think because of some of those flaws that I mentioned, it's difficult. It's not a five-star match. It certainly wouldn't have been even if it was called perfectly and if the crowd was incredible. It may even be difficult, though, to get to that 4.5-star level, but this is over a four-star match, probably 4.25 on my five-star scale. Just... Really impressive work from both of them. I'd have to see it again. Maybe I could bump it up another quarter star, but man, just an absolutely great match and a really hot open to a show that had a lot of competition going against a huge NBA playoff game. Hopefully everyone who was irked at the tie finish of the Fatal 4-Way were pleased at what was delivered here. Cole was kept strong by kicking out of the coup de grace. Balor was the appropriate winner, as we discussed at the beginning of this a couple weeks ago, as anyone else, whether it was Cole, Gargano, or Champa, all would have felt repetitive. Yes, Balor's a three-time champion, but he hasn't been champion in years. So it still felt like something a little bit newer that we can sink our teeth into. And then the celebration after the championship win with the red lights and the smoke, that made him look deadly. It made me, for the first time in a while, remember truly that Finn Balor has it. And he certainly had it in that moment. Then you got the roster congratulating him backstage. That was a really nice, unique moment that NXT has not really done before. And then you saw Cole come up to him to Sweden backstage. That was cool. Later in the locker room, Cole continued to play the face side that began in the feud with Pat McAfee. So don't be surprised if this starts to create some further dissension or friction inside Undisputed Era. Because as you saw later in the show, the rest of that faction is still very much on the heel side. Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish. We didn't see Kyle O'Reilly 
on Tuesday night. But Adam Cole seems to be, at least individually, making a total face turn. And if they're going to keep going in that direction, I would not be surprised if a split is coming sooner than later. How would that split happen? Would it happen on NXT? I don't really know. Would it result maybe in Adam Cole getting beaten and then promoted to the main roster? That's possible too. But the Undisputed Era gimmick, the the, the faction in NXT has grown tired. They dominated for so long. They've been featured for so much of NXT that now them not being featured, the tag teams being secondary, Cole losing the title and then losing this opportunity to win the vacant title. It it has really refreshed and made NXT exciting again because you kind of don't know what's going to happen week to week. So either A, WWE needs to call the Undisputed Era up to the main roster, which they could certainly do during the draft whenever that ends up getting booked, or they need to split them up. And I don't like splitting them up as much as I like promoting them, especially now that it kind of seems there's factions happening. You have Retribution, you have the Hurt Business, getting Undisputed Era up there, even if you make them a face faction, would be exciting. Uh, But in this scenario, splitting them up before they have that opportunity to debut together on the main roster, if that opportunity ends up coming, I don't know if I like that idea. It does seem like it's what's coming. Now, in the second main event of NXT, usually we talk about one big topic and then we run through the show. But holy crap, the second main event was Rhea Ripley defeating Mercedes Martinez in a steel cage match that was the true main event, the last match on the show. My God, this match. I mean, this is one of the best women's matches, one of the best steel cage matches that I have seen in quite some time. This was only given about 17 minutes of TV time, which I did not think was a lot given the stipulation and the main event spot. But I was wrong because so much happened in this match. There was a kendo stick, chairs, and a table in the ring before the door even closed. And I loved the aggressiveness. They ended up billing this as a battle of the badasses. And Mercedes Martinez and Rhea Ripley both came out of this match looking like badasses. Ripley brutally beat Martinez out of the gate with a lot of sustained offense. But I loved Martinez reversing the riptide into her Fisherman's Buster, which by the way is a great move. She followed with the running power slam into the steel chair, but Ripley kicked out right before the commercial break. Now, when they came back from the break, Martinez was stuck in the tree of woe, still managed to hit Ripley with a German suplex while she was seated on the top rope with her legs trapped. That was awesome. Such a sick move. Ripley then hit Martinez with an awesome superplex. Martinez followed with a spine buster. Then Ripley comes back with a face buster and then her prism trap. And I thought that might end it there, but Martinez escaped. And then Ripley gets distracted by Robert Stone. And I'm like, oh no, they're going to do a distraction finish. Haven't we suffered enough with Ripley losing these big matches? They need to get her on top again. I got worked. I started getting worried, especially when Martinez hit her with that neck breaker right off the top rope. I was like, oh my God, she's going to hit her finisher. This thing is over. Not what happened. Martinez sets up a table in the corner. Ripley blocks another fisherman's buster only to power her way in just a beastly manner, without any momentum whatsoever, into a ridiculous avalanche riptide through a table for the one, two, three, and the match victory. This was insane. And somehow, the right main event over the NXT title match. This sent me home way more excited than the NXT title match did. And I, I'm i not sure I would have believed that if I said it before the show began. Totally absurd match. I've said so many times that Rhea Ripley is going to be one of WWE's biggest stars over the next decade. And I even told her that if you want to go back in our archives and listen to my interview with her, which was a great conversation. But this just proved it once again. My heavens, this was a great match. And if you are not an NXT fan and maybe you just listened to me for the recaps and and you listen for AEW, go find this week's NXT, watch the opening match, Watch the main event at a minimum, and you will see some incredible professional wrestling. This was, I don't think this was a five-star match necessarily as a steel cage match, but I mean, it was four and a half. Like, this is one of the best steel cage matches I can remember just in terms of 
physicality and constant action in such a short window, especially in WWE, where cage matches, they're trying to get the door and there's so much people trying to climb over the top. This was not that. I mean, yeah, there was a couple escape attempts, kind of, like briefly, maybe, but this was a wrestling match confined in a steel cage. This this was closer to the Cody Wardlow match that we got on AEW than a normal WWE steel cage match. Fantastic match. I can't sing its praises enough. I am actually pretty curious to see what Dave Meltzer gives this, um, but it deserves all the praise in the world, and hopefully I just did it justice. Now, those two main events on NXT that bookended the show were fantastic, but really the two hours of NXT top to bottom were really good, and like I said, somehow this was a better show than last week, which I thought was really good, and this is one of the best NXT episodes we've had in a really long time, top to bottom, in large reason because of those two matches. Let's get into the rest of the show. The second segment coming out of the NXT title match, it was also fun because it was different, breaking out of the normal mold. You had Robert Stone trying to break Shotzi Blackheart's tank, which, yeah, the tank's stupid, but for some reason, the comedy between the two works for me. They all end up knocking down Io Shirai, who's standing behind a curtain. And then the Robert Stone brand winds up in the ring. They get taken out with a moonsault from Shirai and the senton from Blackheart simultaneously. Then Shotzi indicates she wants a challenge for the title at the end of the entire thing. It felt natural. It felt somewhat reality-based where, hey, you're going to team up, but hey, don't forget, I'm still a challenger. I want that championship. Really like that. We also got another Thatch as Thatch can segment. There's nothing really to say about these. It's his gimmick. It's fine. It's never going to be special. I don't think it's going to get him over to an intense degree, but there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Damian Priest later in the show was solid with his promo addressing the North American Championship match next week with Timothy Thatcher. And I like that his character has undergone a slight shift from the live forever to almost party forever type of character. It fits. He has a lot of machismo. I've said it before. It it just, I believe this character more than I do the Archer of Infamy. And the way they were able to make that transition with him winning the title and then partying afterward in the hot tub and everything that's come on since, it just works way better. It's almost like he's doing the Andrade gimmick from NXT that kind of failed because Andrade allowed the partying to distract him. In this case, um, Damian Priest is kind of using it to fuel him. So I, I like that. And I think it's a good character for him, way better than just Archer of Infamy, Live Forever, and not really having much of a personality. Now we're finally getting to see this guy has a personality. Uh, We saw Velveteen Dream defeat Ashante V. Adonis. Weird name, um, weird nickname, I should say, V. But this was certainly more of a match than I expected it to be. Adonis got a couple of moves in and looked like he could be something one day down the line, while Dream was able to beat a jobber with the Dream Valley driver, as opposed to his Purple Rainmaker, which is his finisher. But the best part of this entire thing was Kushida. Kushida comes back, attacks Dream aggressively, setting up a much-needed rivalry for both guys, especially Kushida, who has been waiting in the wings for a big-time opportunity to enter a title picture for a long time. He really has not accomplished anything whatsoever in NXT since getting there. So I loved the attack. I loved how brutal it was. And it really gave Kushida some character for once. I, I hope that this is something they build upon. And whenever they do have this match and they whatever the end result of this feud is, I truly hope it's Kushida going over and getting a run maybe at the North American Championship or even the NXT Championship. Let's get this guy in a title picture. He deserves it. He's really good. He just hasn't been given that opportunity. The tag team title match preview that we got a little bit later was a fine segment. I hate repeating myself here, but when they prompt me to, I don't have much of a choice. It again goes to show how thin the division is that we're already getting a rematch with the new champions and the team they beat. There's just no other tag teams, uh, established tag teams, I should say, in NXT to really get involved in this situation. We'll discuss one that may be newly formed a little bit later. Dinner at the Garganos. They did a couple segments of this. It was good. You know, it was fine, as I expected it to be last week. Johnny Gargano was really funny at the beginning. Candice LeRae proved that her character had changed by 
being manipulative, trying to get Tegan Knox to listen to her. And of course, it all blew up in her face. Tegan telling Gargano, F you. That was kind of unexpected. And I didn't expect her to really throw a control or a dish or whatever it was at the TV and break the TV. But this was different and it was good. It was unique. It was outside of the ring. These are all things I like. I'm curious to see where it goes. Are we just going to get a couple more Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae matches and then that's it? That may be boring. Maybe we get an interesting stipulation. That would be interesting. We also saw Bronson Reed get a pretty big match against Austin Theory. And it was a match that surpassed my expectations. I thought it was going to be short with Reed going over, but Theory got in a lot of offense, including he has a really cool move, the rolling blockbuster. Very athletic, and he he performs it very well. The top priority here, though, was to continue making Bronson Reed look good. And that was accomplished. I love that Reed threw the bionic elbow, reference obviously to Dusty Rhodes, and Theory was unable to hit his finisher due to Reed's size. I think it's the ATL. And that allowed Bronson Reed to come back, hit the senton, and then the tsunami for the one, two, three, and get the get the win. Bronson Reed has been built up very well over the last probably four to five weeks. So he needed this victory. And matches like these, just a good, high-quality television match, built up with a very simple storyline about a week ago. It's all you need. It's all you need to put on a really good wrestling show. It's something that WWE struggles to do a lot. NXT can and has been successful doing so. You're probably going to see it next week. I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that we'll get a Shotzi Blackheart and Io Shirai match against Aaliyah and maybe another woman or maybe Robert Stone or maybe they develop that for a couple weeks from now. But at some point, there's going to be a match involving all of those people. And when that does happen, again, it's simple storyline. You have the match. Maybe Shotzi ends up getting pinned because her and Shirai can't get along. And then you have an Io Shirai Shotzi Blackheart match. It all works. So wrestling storytelling can be simple. And NXT oftentimes shows you that sometimes simple is better. And then last but not least, Roderick Strong defeated Killian Dane in another surprise match for me on the show. Obviously, Dane's loss can be excused because of the two-on-one advantage with Bobby Fish outside the ring. But these two guys went at it with a really hard-hitting style. It was a way more exciting match than I expected, even though both guys are really good. And Dane losing was a surprise result, considering just the size differential and the fact that, let's be honest, neither Dane nor Roderick Strong really win. They're in a lot of matches, they're featured a lot, but they're almost always on the losing side. So for Strong to get the victory, that was much needed. Drake Maverick came out for the save after Strong and Bobby Fish tried to beat on Killian Dane. That made sense given the temporary alliance that we saw with them last week, and Dane being reluctant to accept his friendship and punching him in the face. That was fine. They also did a really cool quick moment. I think it was in the parking lot on social media where Drake Maverick runs up to Killian Dane and says, hey, I spoke to Mr. Regal. We got a tag team match next week. We're going to team up. And he's like, why did you do that? We're not friends and punches him again. So I like it. I, I like that there's an animosity between the two. And guess what? NXT needs tag teams. Killian Dane, Drake Maverick may not sound like something great on paper, but with Maverick's ability to talk, that being a weak point for Killian Dane, Dane being very good in the ring, that being a relative weak point for Drake Maverick, I think these two will work extremely well together. Certainly both from the United Kingdom. So the accents, I mean, they're not the same, but they line up a little bit. They make sense as a team. And if they start winning, then this would be a team I want to see in NXT. So NXT, good step in the right direction. Let's get some more teams going. I'm in on Killian Dane and Drake Maverick. Okay, so that is it for NXT again. A really good episode of the show on Tuesday. Let's move over to AEW Dynamite from Wednesday. And when I talk Dynamite, I always try to find, hey, what's the major topic of conversation coming out of the show? And I think... One thing that Dynamite struggles with is it is not often that they have a singularly large topic that no doubt I can single out basically to start talking about on the podcast. In other words, the shows are always really good, but it's a number of successful segments you know, throughout an entire show, and they don't often weave storylines in and out. So because of that, I look at this show, and there's a lot of notable things to talk about. Certainly the main event. 
Certainly the Matt Hardy speech, Hardy explaining himself. But the only storyline I could really pull out of AEW on Wednesday that I thought is extremely notable about the future going forward that needs to be singled out is the Hangman Page and Kenny Omega interview segments. And you're going to say, well, nothing happened in the ring. Both were pre-taped. Why does that stand out so much? For me, both of these were exceedingly well done. The one AEW storyline that has never taken a step back in 2020 has been Page and the Elite. Page being delusional, thinking he's in a tag team with Omega still, that worked and got me interested to see, hey, what's going to happen when these two interact again? He also gave a great line that now he's kind of viewing himself as poison. It's a nice sell of the depression that an alcoholic goes through when confronted with their reality. Omega was really good on the other hand because he addressed all the things we've talked about, both in real life and in kayfabe. Fans wanting him to wrestle singles, wanting him to be the ace of AEW, just like he was for a period of time, the ace of New Japan. No offense to Tanahashi there. But something was clicking with Paige throughout the entire year, so therefore he decided he wanted to give tag team wrestling a try. Basically, this is the best storyline in AEW. There's a lot of things that they are booking in a longer term scenario. It seems like they've known where MJF is going to go. It seems like they've known where Cody and Brody Lee and all of this stuff is going to go. And, and, and it also seems like they're going in those directions. So credit to them for that because long-term storytelling is important. But the storyline that has been consistent and relatively without flaw for the entire year has been Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, and The Elite. And I do think that they deserve a lot of credit, not just for the storyline being good, but for the continued successful development of that Wednesday. But other than that, there is not one thing that really truly stood out on the entire show, despite the rest of the show being very good. So let's talk about everything else that happened on AEW Dynamite. The cold open was incredible uh, with Chris Jericho and MJF. It's actually one of my favorite things that AEW has done on Dynamite to date. It was super simple. It was funny, short, and perfectly in character for both guys. Basically, got a pop for me before the show even began. So as Chris Jericho would say, that segment had it. Jurassic Express defeated the Lucha Bros in the first match. And while I hate that they're having the Lucha Bros lose so much and look like a joke, largely, which really should not be the case, at least there's an angle here with Eddie Kingston's faction struggling to stick together. It was also great that Kingston noted that he never actually got eliminated from the Battle Royal. But that's important, and it was treated as an afterthought in his promo. That should be something where he may be addressed separately later in the show. Maybe you have the John Moxley promo, you have the Lance Archer promo, and then you have Eddie Kingston say, hey, look, I'm seeing Moxley, I'm seeing Archer. How about we talk about the fact that I was never eliminated, and they show a clip. I got next after Archer, or I deserve my opportunity, or something. You know, you figure it out. But... I didn't like that it was kind of used as a throwaway line. Hopefully, they come back to it. Instead, though, in this segment, you get Kingston basically playing a dad, trying to calm down four eight-year-old boys who are trying to attack each other, separating them, forcing them to apologize and shake hands. How many more times do we need to see him do this? And doesn't it seem a little bit out of character that this badass guy take no prisoners who came in and tore down Cody is trying to align two groups of people he has no real connection with and he's so invested in them not fighting each other. So there's some backbone almost to the storyline missing for me, but I am glad that at least all of these people are involved in an angle and it is an example of AEW finding a way to get a lot of their talent involved most weeks on TV, even if the storylines are not the most compelling. So I got to give them credit for that. The other thing coming out of this match that I feel like I need to address, and I did say this on the AEW All Out 
instant analysis. Why is Jungle Boy able to kick out of absolutely everything? Like, it seems you cannot pin Jungle Boy. They haven't given us a reason why, but I mean, he is like, I know he's taken pinfalls and matches and stuff, but it seems like he's the most protected guy in the company where nothing can beat him unless you go avalanche style, double finishers, tag team finisher. I don't know. Like, it just, it, it, it's crazy how strong he's built for a guy in the team that has been treated, I mean, people love them, so they're over, but they've been treated like just another team in the tag team picture to this point. So yeah, I just find that to be a little strange. Up next, we had Matt Hardy explaining himself with a live mic. Part of this definitely felt sincere with Hardy thanking fans for their outpouring of affection and their concern for him. That felt genuine. I'm sure he got tons of tweets. Rebby, his wife, heard from a lot of people. And certainly the the fervor over what happened at AEW All Out was out of concern for Matt Hardy because we didn't think him continuing to wrestle was smart and the the spot itself, at least I thought, was stupid. And thank you for those of you, not that I'm looking for praise, but for those of you who tweeted, DM'd me and you know, kind of said, hey, look, we were totally with you on that opinion. I'm glad because I felt extremely strong about that. The rest of what Matt had to say on Wednesday, I'm not saying it wasn't sincere, but it, it didn't feel the same way as the part that did feel sincere, if that makes sense to you. Everything else he said rang a little bit hollow to me. He tried to play the entire thing off and say that he's totally fine. But in the same breath, he's claiming he's not cleared to compete. Because of that, the entire promo felt like damage control for AEW and another effort to win fans over by sucking up to them, which is a large part of the entire AEW gimmick, which is something I've talked about for 18 months now. For the fans, we book for you. We feature the people you like. And it's not that's not a bad thing. You want wrestling companies to cater to fans, but I don't always need them telling me they're doing it. And that's what it felt like in this moment. So I'm happy Matt's okay. I don't know if I believe the line. I don't think I believe the line from Tony Khan that there's no concussion and nothing's wrong with him. Maybe there's not a concussion, technically, but the guy was knocked out for like 45 seconds. So something happened and he was still allowed to continue when he should not have been allowed to continue. Anything past that and trying to say otherwise that no, we didn't make a mistake, not admitting any wrongdoing there, it's damage control, and I just don't really accept it. So the segment was fine. I'm glad Matt's seemingly taking some time off. I'm glad the feud with Sammy is ending because every single time they've been together, something bad has happened. Although I like both of them and I was really excited for this storyline, I was really disappointed both in the tables match on Dynamite and obviously in the match at All Out. Up next, Orange Cassidy beat Angelico, or Angelico, I guess, um, Smart for them to immediately give Orange Cassidy a singles win after his pay-per-view victory. Now we're going to get a parking lot brawl next week with best friends against Santana and Ortiz, which should be great. Considering it's a parking lot brawl and considering it's Santana and Ortiz, it would be really nice if the heels got a win here. I don't think they're going to. So that I'm going to ahead of time be a little bit pessimistic and say that's a disappointment. Up next, we had the segment with Kip Sabian introducing his best man, which is actually the best man, Miro. The comedy parts of this segment at the very beginning were not funny. Uh, and Miro, formerly Rusev, showing up was totally expected. Of course, we talked about it on this show. I tweeted about it a couple times. You kind of knew once the, Tony Khan said, we're going to have a big surprise for everyone on Wednesday. And there's only one person left from the WWE cuts. You knew it was going to be Rusev. Nevertheless, it was really cool to see him because of course, we love Rusev. No surprise that we got a WWE shot right away, right off the bat about the brass ring. Let's hope it's not a constant theme with him. He's better than that. And it is so played out to continuously leave WWE and immediately talk shit about WWE. I don't want constant reminders of what didn't work. Show me what will work. Miro in AEW is a great match. 
Hopefully his contract eventually when everything opens up again, allows him to compete in New Japan. That is where he really belongs more than anywhere else. I'm excited to see him back on my television. My pessimism about him being introduced in this wedding type of gimmick out the window because it wasn't that similar to everything that happened in WWE. So because of all of that, I'm pretty happy with how this transpired. But again, brass ring comment. All right, you got it out of the way. I'm done with it. Be Miro, be your fun self, and kick some ass in AEW. Next on the show, we saw Chris Jericho and Jake Hager defeat Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. This was the best match on the show to this point. Uh, just a total spot fest. Janela sold his ass off. Kiss got in some good offense on two established names, and Hager got the needed TV victory. While I like Jericho and Hager as a tag team and the storyline idea of Jericho having already lost the championship. He's not going to go after the TNT title because he's a true main eventer. So what's he going to do now, right? He needs to get into the tag team picture. I like the storyline, but I do have problems here. Number one, the inner circle already has a tag team that should be competing for and winning title uh, matches, tag matches and title matches eventually in Santana and Ortiz. Forget about them though. The division is absolutely loaded. Why do we need two heel singles teaming up when they can elevate other teams looking for opportunities and you have heel champions? It doesn't make any sense. I've said it a million times. The AEW tag team division is the deepest on the planet. It's not hyperbole. They have the best tag team division on the planet right now. So why are you creating more tag teams? Especially when I don't know what they're doing with Kip Sabian and Miro at this point, but I'm guessing they're going to be a tag team. So now you have two new tag teams made of singles, potentially, onto an already massive roster of tag teams. Now, if they want to do some type of tag team cup or tag team tournament, and then maybe they break up some of these teams, that's fine. But man, like this roster is freaking enormous, and the tag team division is huge with one set of titles. I I don't see why Jericho and Hager needed to go in this direction. I have to believe they could have figured out another singles feud or something else that these guys could do. Maybe have Jericho be more of a mouthpiece for a while. Hager go after the TNT title or go after some faces. Have Santana and Ortiz go after the tag team titles. Maybe have Sammy go after the TNT title. I don't know, but this just doesn't seem like it was necessary to do this. I guess they're just trying to figure out a way to make sure Jericho is on TV every week and make sure he's wrestling, not just speaking. But, you know, this match was great. So nothing bad happened here. I'm just talking about going forward. I don't know that this is really the smartest booking. We had MJF throw a fit. And after a couple of weeks where MJF was getting, you know, for lack of a better term, boring, maybe repetitive is the, be- is the better word. This was a total bounce back. He was starting to wear on me. I'm excited about him again. MJF canceling the campaign, tearing down Wardlow was great. Uh, And then standing up to Wardlow by reminding him that he signs his checks and is his only friend. All of that completely worked for me. We have a DM slide from John Strickrod. That was John Cena almost trying to get in there. John Strickrod at Sticky Unleashed. He says, I have to say this. This Wardlow storyline where he has the POS boss and he's torn between kicking his ass and feeding his family feels fresh and made me immediately back him as a babyface. He may have it or maybe not, but this storyline has my curiosity. I agree. It feels fresh in AEW. I mean, WWE, they've done this so many times before where someone's paying for a bodyguard, that person turns their face and so on and so forth. But in AEW, it is fresh. And yes, If they go in this direction, put MJF in a couple matches, he gets some steam, maybe Wardlow costs him another one, maybe they start going back and forth, and then Wardlow beats his ass and turns face, I do think that works. But at the same time, not that MJF needs Wardlow, but they do work really well together. So I don't necessarily know that I want them to split up. So hopefully they drag this out over a period of time, maybe two months or three months, and it's Not every week where there's dissension, but here and there, MJF does things that piss him off until he finally snaps. 
So long-term, yes. And I do think Wardlow would be a really good baby face because as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he has like some comedy shtick that I didn't really expect from him. Wardlow outside the ring for that lawyer match with John Moxley last week, he popped me. Like the match sucked and that main event segment was terrible. But Wardlow actually was funny the entire time. So if that's the direction they want to go in with this big bruising guy, then I'm down for that. But I want it to drag on a little bit. I want them to give us a little bit more. After all, we're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. And I think the MJF Wardlow storyline could draw ratings. Absolutely. John Moxley and Lance Archer cut their promos. I referenced those earlier. Moxley's was great. Archer's was okay. And it's getting incredibly repetitive with Jake Roberts. I don't think I'm really fond of their act, all things considered. Moxley, however, found a way to put over himself and Archer while getting me excited for their upcoming match, which is going to be on the one-year anniversary show of AEW Dynamite. So I'm glad that they're doing it before the next pay-per-view. I'm curious now to see what they're going to do for that pay-per-view. Who are they going to elevate to be that number one contender after Moxley beats Archer, we have to assume? And how is that match going to look? So Lots of intrigue, but I'm glad they're doing this next month. That October 14th uh, AEW Dynamite episode should be good. I always like when you give shows gimmicks, and certainly NXT has done that with Super Tuesday over the last couple of weeks. AEW did that with the Tag Team Appreciation Night, which really wasn't. I wish they had actually built that up a little bit more. And of course, AEW has did that with Fighter Fest, uh, and that obviously NXT countered with Great American Bash. But Those special shows, when you build up, when you have a date solidified and you try to book multiple matches and storylines to climax on that date, always good. Always good for television. We saw the FTR Tag Team Championship celebration next. Cash Wheeler opened this saying exactly what I was saying earlier about Jericho and Hager. AEW has the deepest and most talented division in the world right now, and there's really no reason to be creating more teams out of thin air, especially, as I said, when you have these teal champions who have not even defended their titles yet. And then out of nowhere, we get a second WWE shot in the same show with Dax Hardwood calling it a second-rate Hall of Fame. This is such good shit. Yeah, it's really not good shit. Like, okay, we know you guys were there. It's not a second-rate Hall of Fame. I mean, it's a little bit of a joke Hall of Fame, sure. I guess I can give you that. You don't need to be saying it on television when you're talking about Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn deserves to be in there. His entire career was in WWE. He's not bullshit being in it. So I don't really know why you would call it that. But regardless, let's hope there's fewer shots of WWE on Dynamites going forward because when they do happen, people get all excited about them and then it distracts from the rest of the segment, which I thought was pretty decent. We're going to have the Jurassic Express get a non-title match against FTR. I believe next week that should be good. And we'll see if uh, Jungle Boy kicks out of the Goodnight Express and uh, remains as strong as he has been. Ricky Starks came out and cut a promo on Darby Allen. Short, sweet, and to the point. Really good promo. Definitely want to see that one-on-one match. We had Nyla Rose defeat Ty Conti. Glad to see that Conti got signed by AEW. I've always thought she had a lot of potential when she was in NXT. This was a good win for Rose as she gets back in the swing of things. I hated the excuse me stuff from Vicky Guerrero in WWE, and I hate it in 2020 in AEW. I still don't know why Nyla Rose needed a manager, but if they did and if they wanted it to be Vicky, that's fine. I just really hope they move away from her screaming excuse me it's grating. I know it gets heat, but man, I never liked it then. I don't like it now. Let's just do something else with Vicky. She's better than that also. Vicky is actually talented. Give her another catchphrase. Give her another way to emote than screaming, excuse me, when no one was even interrupting her in that moment. It was just annoying. And then last, the main event, the TNT Championship, Brody Lee successfully defending against Dustin Rhodes. This was a big hoss fight. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's, That's what I wanted to see. That's what we got to see from this match. As I said, big hoss fight that definitely overachieved. It was a bit strange to see Dustin go so long with Brody Lee 
when Cody got absolutely decimated by him. I would have preferred them delay this match a couple of weeks. I said the same thing coming out of AEW All Out. But ultimately, Brody Lee won. He won in less than 15 minutes. That gets the job done. I also enjoyed the continuation of him shunning Colt Cabana when he tried to celebrate after the match with Evil Uno being the only one on Cabana's side. Gets me curious, what kind of storylines developing there? Why are they doing it? Is Cabana going to get shunned from Dark Order? Is he going to be accepted back and maybe be even more indoctrinated to their ways? Curious about it. You guys know I don't like Dark Order, but there are parts of the storytelling with them that work, and this is one of them. So this was a very successful main event, and it capped a very successful show because what we just discussed, again, just like with NXT, I pointed out some flaws, but what we discussed over the course of that show was a lot of stuff getting started, developing, going forward. And I think it's the exact same thing that NXT has recently done over their last two episodes. It was supposed to happen for NXT with Karrion Cross. Obviously, he got hurt. So now they're redoing things and going in a different direction with Finn Balor as their new champion. AEW hasn't had any hiccups other than Matt Hardy, but now it seems like they're going in a different direction with almost all of their title pictures, maybe the exception being the women's title. So this is really exciting stuff. Gets me pumped up to watch NXT and AEW week to week. There's some weeks where it's a slog, where NXT doesn't deliver the matches the caliber they can. AEW, from a storytelling perspective, fails. Last week, the go-home show for All Out was a failure from AEW. It just wasn't good. Dynamite. Uh, But this week, what a huge difference. Rebound. And if you watch those two shows back-to-back, even if you disagreed with me last week, I think you can see what I'm saying in terms of how this was structured better. It made more sense. It was more entertaining and it was more exciting. The one takeaway from AEW before we wrap up here, they have a massive roster at this point. I mean, they have something like, I don't, I'd have to do a count. I did a count. I think I tweeted it. I think it was a little bit off, but like 80 wrestlers right now. And they have like two hours of television. That's half the size of WWE's television roster, but they have nowhere to put these people. What AEW does successfully is factions and groups and teams, and that allows more people to get on each episode of Dynamite than any individual episode of SmackDown or NXT, or probably even Raw. I would probably have to do a count next week, and maybe I will, to see how many different superstars from each brand actually get on television over the course of their shows. But I have to believe with AEW, it's more than anyone else because you see people and their managers and their side parts of their stables. Whereas a lot of times with WWE, it's person versus person in a match. Maybe there's a couple other people, but they don't have factions and they don't have reasons to get all this talent on television. So AEW utilizes its talent better uh, in terms of getting it screen time. But man, their roster is enormous. And Miro and Ty Conchi, great additions. I would have added them at any point in the entire existence of AEW. But then you start looking at the rest of their roster and you're like, man, they have two male singles titles. And how many people do you actually think as of today are legitimate contenders for those titles? Like who has been built up to the level where they would deserve a title match tomorrow. And there's a lot of people that don't fit in those categories. I mean, even Kenny Omega right now and Hangman Page, yeah, they were just tag team champions, great. But have they done anything in singles to deserve a a world championship shot? They haven't. Lance Archer has, great. MJF went up the rankings, great. Brody Lee would, but he's the TNT champion. So who's really being pushed and developed in a significant manner. And that's what I want to see from AEW going forward over the next couple of months leading up to their next pay-per-view. I want to see the utilization, especially from the male singles division, of some of these individual talents to be built up for world championship and TNT championship opportunities. Because I don't think Brody Lee is going to be defending the TNT title the same way Cody did where people from outside are going to come in and Sonny Kiss is randomly going to get an opportunity and, you know, War, uh, not War, I almost said War, low, War Horse and, uh, you know, Scorpio Sky and so on and so forth. 
I think Brody is going to be more specific challenges. Moxley, we already know in the world championship, only gets defended a certain number of times. So that's what I want to see from AEW. You have this huge roster. People are all excited about Miro and Matt Cardona and all these guys being added. But what are you actually going to do with them? And so far, with a lot of these additions, they have filled in some gaps that be due to you know Pentagon and Phoenix being out for a while, Pac not being there, he's international. There were a couple gaps that got filled by the signing of Eddie Kingston and a couple other people. But now they're adding upon adding upon adding. And even if they were going to add another TV show, which is supposed to happen before the year is out, I have to believe that would be a secondary show. So what are you going to do with all these big names that you have now? That's the task I am giving Tony Khan, not that he's going to hear this, but that's the task that I'm giving Tony Khan over these next few months. But nevertheless, a absolutely great week of NXT and AEW. It was a really good week, basically all together of professional wrestling television. Raw actually was the worst show of the entire week. If I had to give a winner overall, I'd probably give it to, I guess, SmackDown or NXT. Just because both of them had so many important things happen on their shows while AEW was setting the tone going forward. But SmackDown, NXT, and AEW, all top-tier wrestling television this week. Raw really needs to pick it up. It's repetitive. It feels like they're treading water. It's what I said on Tuesday's show. Now, we will talk all things WWE, everything that happens on SmackDown, everything that happens on Raw, next Tuesday in our next episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And then, of course, we will be back one week from today. We tape on Thursday, talking all things NXT and AEW. If AEW gets moved to Thursday, I have no idea what we're going to do. So (laughs) I'll have to figure that out when the time comes. Maybe we'll delay it and do a Thursday night episode. No matter what, I appreciate all of you for listening. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review. For now, that is it from The Silver King. There's only one person left to say something to you. Elizabeth, come on out, that. Oh, man. We got something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah, we into the twilight zone. Yeah, and how cool it's got no chance to does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Anderson? And one of the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Right? Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest man in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. I'm Thank you, Ratty Savvy. And thank you all for listening. I will see you next Tuesday. Bye for now.